This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of lower extremity os from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Lower extremity os are secondary ossification centers that remain separated from the normal bone and may be confused with a fracture. Diagnosis requires plain radiographs of the foot and ankle. Treatment is generally observation as most are completely asymptomatic. In the event of symptoms, treatment depends on location of the os and chronicity of symptoms. Now, let's get into the episode. Starting with epidemiology, up to 40 accessory ossicles and multiple sesamoids have been described in the foot and ankle. An accessory ossicle is defined as a secondary ossification center that remains separated from the normal bone. Sesamoids are bones that are incorporated into tendons and move with normal and abnormal tendon motion. The most common ossicles are os trigonum, accessory navicular, otherwise known as os tibiale externum, and os intermeditarsum. The most common sesamoids include the os peroneum, which is located in the peroneus longus tendon, and the hallux sesamoids, which are located in the flexor hallucis brevis tendon at the base of the first metatarsal head. Now, let's go over the prevalence, clinical significance, and differential diagnosis for the accessory ossicles and sesamoids of the foot and ankle. The os trigonum has a prevalence of 10 to 25%. The clinical significance includes posterior ankle impingement as well as FHL entrapment. The differential diagnosis for an os trigonum is a shepherd's fracture. A type 2 accessory navicular has a prevalence of 2 to 12% and the clinical significance is posterior tibial tendon dysfunction. The differential diagnosis for a type 2 accessory navicular includes a navicular tuberosity avulsion fracture as well as a type 1 accessory navicular. An os subfibulare has a prevalence of 2%, and the clinical significance is a painful os subfibulare. The differential diagnosis for an os subfibulare is a lateral malleolus avulsion fracture. An os perineum has a prevalence of 9 to 20%, and the clinical significance includes painful os perineum, fracture, and diastasis. The differential diagnosis for an os perineum includes a painful os vesalianum, as well as a bipartite os perineum. An os vesalianum has a prevalence of 2%, the clinical significance is a painful os vesalianum, and the differential diagnosis is an avulsion fracture of the fifth metatarsal base. Finally, the hallux sesamoids has a prevalence of approximately 100%. The clinical significance includes fracture and stress fracture. The differential diagnosis for hallux sesamoids includes a bipartite tibial sesamoid. Now let's talk about os trigonum in a bit more detail. An os trigonum is an accessory ossicle representing the separated posterolateral tubercle of the talus. It is usually asymptomatic, but can become symptomatic and cause ostrigonum syndrome. As far as the epidemiology of an ostrigonum, 10 to 25% of the population have an ostrigonum. This is commonly symptomatic in ballet dancers due to extreme plantar flexion, specifically in the on-point toe position. As far as the pathophysiology of ostrigonum syndrome, repetitive microtrauma from ankle plantar flexion may present as a stress fracture. Acute forced plantar flexion may also present as an acute fracture. Associated conditions with os trigonum include FHL tenosynovitis or entrapment. 
Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy in the context of ostrigonum, specifically the osteology. So the secondary ossification center forms posterior to the talus between 8 to 13 years old. It normally fuses with the talus within one year, and if the ossicle fails to fuse, it articulates with the talus through a synchondrosis. The os lies lateral to the FHL, tibial nerve, posterior tibial tendon, and posterior tibial artery. As far as the presentation of an ostrigonum, symptoms may include pain in the on-point position, and on physical exam, patients may have posterolateral ankle pain with passive ankle plantar flexion. This differentiates from FHL tendonitis, where ankle pain is posteromedial and there may be triggering. Patients may also have swelling and tenderness over the FHL if it's associated with FHL tendonitis. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a lateral radiograph with the foot in plantar flexion. As far as findings on radiographs, these images may show an ostrigonum impinged between the posterior tibial malleolus and calcaneal tuberosity. An ostrigonum can be round, oval, or triangular, and of variable size. On MRI, findings may show an ostrigonum and associated inflammation and edema in the FHL tendon. The differential diagnosis includes fracture of the posterior process of the talus, otherwise known as a shepherd's fracture, as well as FHL and posterior tibialis tendonitis. Keep in mind that FHL and posterior tibialis tendonitis produces posterior medial ankle pain and tenderness. Treatment of ostrigonum can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes NSAIDs, rest, immobilization, and restricted weight-bearing. Operative options include surgical excision. This is indicated if non-operative management fails, and the surgical technique is through an open lateral approach or posterior ankle arthroscopy. As far as an os tibiale externum or accessory navicular, be sure to listen to the podcast episode about accessory navicular. An os subfibulare is defined as a small piece of bone adjacent to the inferior fibula. As far as the epidemiology, 1-2% to 2% of the population has an os subfibulare. With respect to pathoanatomy, an os subfibulare may represent an avulsion fracture of the ATFL that secondarily ossifies, or it can be an accessory ossification center. As far as the presentation of an os subfibulare, patients may be asymptomatic, they may have ankle pain with a symptomatic os subfibulare, or it may be associated with chronic ankle instability, and patients may present with recurrent ankle sprains. Some signs to look out for include focal tenderness and swelling at the site of the ossicle, as well as laxity with anterior drawer and inversion-slash-eversion stress testing. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a standard ankle series, which includes a weight-bearing AP, lateral, and mortis, as well as a varus stress view. Findings may include an accessory ossicle and or tailored tilt on varus stress view, which will suggest ankle instability and will show increased separation of the os fragment from the fibula tip. The differential diagnosis for os subfibulare includes acute lateral malleolus avulsion fracture by the ATFL. Treatment of an os subfibulare can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes NSAIDs, rest, immobilization, and restricted weight-bearing. This is indicated as the initial treatment for symptomatic os subfibulare. Operative options include surgical excision, which is indicated for failed non-operative management. Now let's talk about os perineum in a bit more detail. 
An osperineum is a sesamoid bone found within the perineus longus tendon near the base of the fifth metatarsal, and it may represent avulsion or rupture of the peroneus longus. As far as the epidemiology, 9 to 20% of adults have an osperineum. It's bilateral in 60% of cases and bipartite in 30% of cases. As far as the pathophysiology of injury or fracture, this can be secondary to direct trauma or indirect trauma from sudden inversion and supination. Indirect trauma with sudden inversion and supination is associated with peroneus longus tendon rupture. As far as imaging, findings on radiographs may include a normal osperineum, acute osperineum fracture, or peroneus longus rupture. Findings on MRI can also include normal osperineum, acute osperineum fracture, or peroneus longus rupture. The differential diagnosis for an osperineum includes painful os vesalianum and bipartite osperineum. Treatment for an osperineum can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes NSAIDs, rest, immobilization, and restricted weight-bearing. This is indicated as the initial treatment for painful osperineum syndrome, as well as minimally displaced osperineum fractures. Operative options include surgical excision and surgical excision, as well as repair of the peroneus longus tendon or tenodesis to the peroneus brevis. Surgical excision is indicated for painful osperineum syndrome with minimal tendon involvement refractory to conservative treatment. It's also indicated for osperoneum fracture with displaced fragments. Surgical excision and repair of the peroneus longus tendon or tenodesis to the peroneus brevis is indicated for osperineum associated with peroneus longus tendon rupture. As far as hallux sesamoids, be sure to look out for the podcast episode about sesamoid injuries of the hallux. Okay, now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's do one flashcard to test your recall. What is the most common tendinopathy associated with an ostrigonum? The most common tendinopathy associated with an ostrigonum is FHL tenosynovitis or entrapment. Now, let's continue to apply the information from this episode and do some multiple choice questions. First question. A 23-year-old soccer player with a history of multiple ankle sprains presents with posterolateral ankle pain that has been present for the past three months. On physical exam, the patient has pain over the posterolateral ankle with plantar flexion, but no pain is elicited with combined passive dorsiflexion and eversion of the ankle. He denies any numbness or tingling in his foot or sensation of ankle instability. The pain has been managed with rest, physical therapy, and intraarticular steroid injection with only marginal improvement. A T1-weighted sagittal view MRI of the ankle shows an ostrigonum. A T2-weighted sagittal view of the ankle shows inflammation with the fluid signal noted around the ostrigonum relative to the posterior Taylor body. What is the best next step? And the choices are 1. Peroneal brevis tubularization. 2. Arthroscopic excision of ostrigonum. 3. Flexor hallucis longus or FHL tendon debridement. 4. EMG to evaluate for tarsal tunnel syndrome and five, subtalar loose body removal. The correct answer to this question is two, arthroscopic excision of ostrigonum. 
So the clinical presentation is most consistent with Ostrigonum syndrome with characteristic posterolateral ankle pain exacerbated by plantar flexion and increased signal on T2 MRI about the Ostrigonum. To quickly review, an Ostrigonum is an accessory ossicle separated from the posterolateral tubercle of the talus that is present in 10 to 25% of the population. While generally asymptomatic, an ostrigonum may become symptomatic on occasion in active individuals such as ballet dancers and soccer players given their strenuous lower extremity demands involving repetitive plantar flexion. The ostrigonum lies lateral to the FHL tendon and may fracture or contribute to local inflammation leading to localized pain, FHL entrapment, or FHL irritation. The etiology of FHL irritation secondary to an ostrigonum can be differentiated from isolated FHL tendonitis by examination, whereas isolated FHL tendonitis generally presents with posteromedial ankle pain and triggering of the FHL tendon. And moving on to the final question, a 23-year-old ballet dancer returns to your office continuing to complain of posterior ankle pain worsened in maximum plantar flexion. She has been taking NSAIDs in conjunction with physical therapy for three months and also took a one-month break from performing while wearing a cam boot. Despite all of these modalities, she has not shown improvement. A sagittal T2 MRI sequence shows an ostrigonum with surrounding edema. You are planning to address this surgically using a posterolateral approach to the ankle centered posterior to the malleolus. What is her diagnosis and which structure is most at risk with this approach? And the choices are 1. Flexor hallucis longus tendonitis, and the sural nerve is most at risk. 2. Posterior tibial tendonitis, and the sural nerve is at risk. 3. Symptomatic ostrigonum, and the sural nerve is at risk. 4. Symptomatic ostrigonum, and the superficial perineal nerve is at risk. And 5. Posterolateral tubercle fracture, and the sural nerve is at risk. The correct answer to this question is three, symptomatic ostrigonum and the sural nerve is at risk. So the patient in the question stem has a symptomatic ostrigonum and the structure most at risk with the posterolateral approach is the sural nerve. To quickly review, ostrigonum syndrome is a result of bony or soft tissue compression impinging in the posterior ankle. This impingement can be from an elongated process from the lateral tubercle on the talus, otherwise known as a styeda process, which fractures from repetitive trauma or as an accessory ossicle from a failure to fuse, each of which can be a source of pain and may be seen with FHL tenosynovitis. Treatment centers on anti-inflammatory modalities with physical therapy and activity modification. If these fail after at least three months, open or arthroscopic surgical excision should be considered. That's all for this review about lower extremity os. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. 
We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.